Good morning. How's everybody today? Good, good. Glad you're here. If you're in Kidmo, you guys can head on back. Uh, if you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, uh, Kidmo is a place where they can go and have their own time of teaching, small groups, some games, and do a lot of fun stuff back there. So if you'd like to go back and see where they're headed, you're welcome to take them and they can be part of Kidmo this morning. Uh, we're so glad that you are here, and uh, we've had kind of a, a busy, exciting week here. I know a lot of you are uh, in the middle of a lot of stuff going on in your lives. Uh, Wednesday night, Christina did a great job sharing with some of our uh, parents of youth and uh, just about how to talk to your kids about some very sensitive subjects. Did a great job. In fact, uh, this week, right, you're headed for uh, to have a new addition to their family. Is that Thursday? Uh, you should wait till Friday because that's my birthday. But uh, she is going to be there. Phoebe will be here on Thursday. So we are excited for them. She's here today. And it's unbelievable that this close to birth. So we're glad that y'all are here. Excited for you guys. And I think I saw, yeah, Christy and Kevin are here. Did, so did Callie come with you? No, she's at home. She's under lock and key, right? The bubble till she's like 16 years old. That's the way we were with our first. So we're so glad that you guys are here. And I listen, if you've not been back towards the nursery, uh, it is hopping. And uh, it, there are a, not only, let me just tell you this, uh, there are not only more babies back there than we have normally have. Uh, there's like five more on the way. So uh, Deidre has encouraged me to encourage you we are in desperate need of some baby holders. Now, are there any baby holders in the room? Yes, a few. Like, yeah, give me a baby. <laughs> Guys, this is a great thing to get your wife involved with if she's talking to you about your own baby. Maybe this will assuage the need to have a permanent... No, I'm just kidding. But... Um, we really, the, our children's ministry is growing. We're very excited about that. With a, a growing number of children to minister to, we also need a growing number of leaders and volunteers to help with that. Uh, the two primary age groups that we really need some help, and if you've got a child back there, we would really love for you to plug in. If you don't have a child, then uh, listen, we journey from the very beginning, it has been our goal to be a place that we don't just babysit. Um, but it's a chance to pour into these children, to love them, to let them know that they are loved, but also to teach them age-appropriate lessons along the way about what it means to be loved by God and to know Him. So we uh, have really committed to that since we started eight years ago. Uh, and so when you come and volunteer, it is not about just taking care of a child for while their parents are away. You have an opportunity to really love and invest in them. We greatly need some additional help in babies and in our preschool class. Both are really, uh, really hopping back there. So if you would be willing to do that, Deidre's going to be standing right out here in a little bit, and she um, is going to be glad to talk to you, has a little, some little sign-up sheets that she can fill out. Uh, help us to really invest in these kids and to invest in the, these, all these young families um, because investing in their kids is investing in them. So that's a desperate need. Uh, it's a fun need. And uh, we would love for you to take part in that. Um, also, a couple of other big things happening this week. is I don't know, is Brian in here? Is Brian Tucker in here? I'm not sure. There he is. Hey, listen. The author coming out with a new book this week. Tuesday. I should let you come up and do a, a plug for it. He's got one, one of the most awesome beards in the room. I don't know that he can take Nate's here, so I'm not sure he can take top billing, but 
anyways, Will Man's coming out this week. It's uh, not only a, uh, just a great thing that he has poured his uh, heart into, but it's a, it's a great story and a, and a very uh, important topic as well. So uh, talk to him. That's, that's coming out this week. Um, you know, Amazon, I'm sure it'll be uh, top billing like by th- Wednesday. So anyways, we're excited about that. And then just uh, one last announcement for you guys that are waiting for your tax forms. They're going out tomorrow. So you should have all of your tax forms if you need those from us. We're starting a new series today. Last week, we finished up on what I think is one of the most important things we can be talking about as Christians. And that is the tendency for us to burn out. And for many of us, we have packed our lives so full and so busy that by the time we get to the end of the day, we have nothing left for anybody. When someone comes to us and says, listen, I want you to be involved in something, and it is great, it's life-changing, and it can change the lives of others, a lot of times we just say, I can't can't do anything else. I mean, I am full. I'm packed. I, I have no more time for anything. And unfortunately, instead of burning brightly, many of us... and We just end up burning out and we get frustrated. It leads to depression and it leads to just disengaging from everything. That is not the life God God created us for. It's not the life he called us to, but a lot of us struggle with that. So if you are in a place in your life where you're struggling with burnout, I want you to know that God's design for you is to burn brightly. What we also want to do over these next few weeks is we want to talk about some basic beliefs because it's apparent in the world that a lot of us believe in a lot of things, but do you really know why you have faith and trust in a God to save you? Do you, do you have, can you break that down into some kind of a system that you could explain to somebody and say, listen, I believe in God because... Because the truth is, a lot of us can say a lot of things about God, but if you were supposed to sit down... Whoops, there's somebody's water. If you were going to sit down and you were going to explain God to somebody, have you ever thought how you would do that? There are some concepts in life that to just sit down and explain them, they're a lot harder than others. I can explain this water bottle to you, right? I can, I can tell you all about what's in it and what it's made. I can't really tell you what it's made of. I don't know what plastic's made of. It's made of plastic, right? That's the way most of us answer that. But I, I, I can explain how this process came to be in this tell you what this is, but explaining God is a little bit like explaining love to somebody, isn't it? If you were going to sit down and say, okay, I want to explain to you all of the details of what love is, could you do that? I'm not sure I could. You know, we would probably begin talking about, well, these are the actions that love leads to, or these are the feelings that love can create, or, or this is the definition of love, but to really sit down and say, this is what love is, It can be tough. The same thing is with God saying, well, what is God? Who is God? How do we really explain God? Rick Warren started one of probably the most popular Christian books out there with a simple statement. And it said, it's not about you. Anybody read that book? You know, when you first read that, if that's not the way you view the world, then you're tempted to put it down immediately. (laughs) It's not about you. But the problem is, is a statement like that, while we can, in the back of our minds, we can let that form through some of our beliefs that we have and some of the ways we see the world and our perceptions, we could kind of fit, say, yeah, it's not about me. It's about, you know, others or, but really that leads to the question of, well, if it's not about me and I'm really tempted to let it be, if it's not about me, then who is it about? Right? 
Who is it about? Psalm 8, 9 is a great verse of praise and worship. It simply says this. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name? Why is his name majestic? You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about two events in the Christian world that uh, one was so positive and, and full of praise and one was full of mourning and sadness. And two ministers in the same weekend experienced two vastly different uh, results of what was going on in their lives and their ministry. Pastor Saeed was released from Iran, something that many people have been praying for. And a missionary sitting in a Starbucks waiting to pick up a missions group was killed in a terrorist attack. Now, many people would say God was faithful. God was just with Pastor Saeed. I mean, he brought him home. He answered their prayers. God has shined down his glory and his mercy on Pastor Saeed. But what about a little-known missionary sitting in a Starbucks waiting to bring a mission team to do some work in his community? Was God faithful then? Was he just? Did he pour down his grace in that moment? Now, there are so many other things we can, can look at. If we're going to try to determine who God is or try to de- define him based on the activities of people in the world, how many martyrs are there dying today in the name of Christ? Research shows over and over again we are living right now in one of the greatest periods of persecution of all time. Maybe not in America, but in the rest of the world, definitely. One of the greatest periods of persecution of all time, is God asleep at the wheel? Is God not directing? Is God not still blessing? Over the last couple of days, it's being reported by Europe, the European Union's Central Intelligence Agency, which I didn't know existed, so I guess they're good at what they do. I don't know, but... They have reported that over 10,000 immigrant children are now missing in Europe, expected to have been kidnapped by gangs, sold into slavery and sex trafficking. 10,000 immigrant children. Now, we live in a world that's sick, that's hurting. We're living in a world that's decaying, a world that's falling apart. And for us to begin a conversation about who God is, we must begin the conversation talking about some of the atrocities that are going on around us. We can't simply come in and say, God feels so good, right? Because while it feels good to some, for others, they're going through terrible trauma. For some of you, you haven't gone through those terrible events, but yet there's something going on in your family, your life right now, and you're struggling with, and you're asking the question, who is God? Or maybe a more pertinent time for you right now is where is God? See, the truth is, if you haven't asked that question, at some point you will ask that question. It's a false belief to say that a true Christian never questions God Because the only way you can never question God is to have the faith of Jesus Christ. And we're not him. We're still human. We still struggle. But it still begins with the primary statement. If we're going to approach who is God, it is not about me. Now, we all have that friend, right? That friend that no matter who's telling a story, somehow the story becomes about them. You all have those friends? I mean, you're starting a story has nothing to do with them. Oh, that reminds me of the time, you know. 
And all of a sudden, the story is shifted to them, right? Aren't they fun to have over? Now, introverts love them because they take over the conversation, but everybody else hates them because they're always talking about themselves. Everybody has that friend, and if you don't have that friend, guess what? You are that friend. So that's some hard truth for some of us in the room. And don't have that friend. I mean, I've got to find somebody. Oh, i got to think of somebody, you know. So who is this all about? Who is God? You know, when we talk about our lives and your life, your life literally, where you are right now, it is built on the decisions that you have made based on your perceptions of the world around you. Where you are right now in life, you have built, made on the decisions you've made based on all of the perceptions that you have about the world. You perceive the world. You perceive God. You perceive your situations. You perceive your future. You perceive your ability and your value and your, uh, the opportunities for you to do things in the world based on your perceptions of the world. And one of the worst perceptions you can have is that you don't matter because then you will never hope or take risk for something that can matter If your perception is that you don't matter. Our perceptions shape reality in our minds. It does not shape reality for what reality truly is. But that's how you and I make decisions. We make it based on the perceptions that we have. So how do we have a perception about God that is accurate? How do we have a perception about God that is true? That uh, is even real? That will always lead to the question of, does God truly exist when I was in seminary, I, I, I loved philosophy. Does anybody here like to debate? A few of you do. We love to debate. We would debate anything. We would sit down, and it didn't matter. We, didn't, we just made up the dumbest things to debate, to debate all the time because we love the process of debate. We love philosophy. We love to, come, to try to one-up each other. It was just a competitive thing for nerds, you know. That's really what it was. But we had a blast debating each other. If you're into philosophy, you'll find that there are four primary arguments. Is God real? So I'm going to give you a little bit of a a philosophy lesson here in the next couple of minutes. And uh, I want you to just think through some of this for yourself. Not just listen to what I'm saying. I want you to, to engage your brains through these next few weeks because it's not important what I think. It's important what you perceive and what you believe and what you think. Because I can't force you to, to see things the way I do. But there's a process that we can go through in evaluating the world around us. Does God truly exist? There are four primary philosophical arguments. The first one is my favorite. It's called the ontological argument. The ontological argument simply says, and this was originally uh, coined by Anselm and also Descartes. It said, that than which nothing greater can be conceived. In other words, you think of the greatest, most perfect person, the most wonderful, perfect being. God's better than that. Imagine what you think the perfect God would be. God's better than that because if you could imagine him, then he wouldn't be all that great. He's so much greater than that. The ontological argument. I love that argument. The second one is this. It's the first cause or the 
cosmological argument, and it's, it's literally this. Nothing can come from nothing. It has to have a beginning somewhere. There has to be some substance that kind of makes this up. And so the cosmological argument says, you know what? There couldn't be a universe that just appeared out of nothing. There had to have been something that started this whole process. Now, scientists have come up with lots of different arguments. And as I've said before, there really is no disagreement between science and faith. When the church tries to create disagreements between science and faith, it has no footing in which to stand because God himself created science. And so some of the things that we've come up with are are evolution to explain this. I I hope we evolve, right? Evolution is evident around us. Now, I'm not a big proponent that I walked out of the ooze, slimy ooze. There's too much order in what is going on around us, which is another philosophical argument, by the way. However, there's too much order there. But we can see with our own eyes what we would call microevolution, where there's... We're evolving and changing to endure our environment. My favorite is the Big Bang. There's no God. There's the Big Bang. Well, who created the Big Bang? I mean, there really is no conflict between science and faith. What science doesn't like about faith is it can't prove it the way that it can prove something else. That's where faith comes in. Cosmological argument is one that many go through somewhere. This had to all come from something. The third argument is the teleological argument. The teleological argument basically says this, the universe is just too perfect. If you know, we had a scientist to come up on the stage and he was to describe what it would take for there to be life on earth, it's staggering all the things that are taking place right now around us that life is happening here. If one thing changed, life could not exist on earth. There's just too much order. The physical... Natural laws that are in place allowing everything to be happening. It is too complex to not have a creative divine being behind it. It's just too perfect. Now, it doesn't mean that the actions of humans on the earth is perfect. But the creation itself is just too, it's just too perfect. Fourth argument is this, it's the moral argument, and it is this basic idea that among all people, religious or not, there is a basic moral compass. We all will agree that some things just should not be done. Now, we'll notice there's a a big bell curve where some are much more accepting of things that others are not. But even among people who would say they are not people of faith and are not religious in any way, they would say there is some basic moral code that all should fall under. And therefore, there must be some greater authority than us who has dictated this moral code to humanity. Now, you may find one of these more interesting than the others. You may find one as that just really means something to you, that the purpose of these arguments is not to prove God beyond a shadow of a doubt because they fail miserably. The purpose is to think through how are things the way they are? And could this have happened without a divine being? Is it possible? I love the ontological argument. One of the ways that my faith has grown is through that argument that simply says God is so much greater than the very greatest thing I can possibly perceive of. I love it. It's my favorite. 
I don't have a problem with that. The ability that, to imagine something like that had to have been placed by some kind of creative power to put that in us. But regardless, if God is real and every person will come to that place, very few people would say there is no God. There are many that would say I do not accept a God or the God. But very few will truly say there is no God. And for those that do, many of those have just placed themselves in that slot. I am God. So I decide what I want, what I will be. I will determine my own course of action. If God is real, we have to respond to him on his terms and not on our terms. And the problem that many Christians struggle with is that we want God to deal with us on our terms. We want to tell him how he should act. We want to tell him what he should do. We want to look at these 10,000 immigrant children and say, how could you possibly let this happen? I mean, that's what we want to do, accept God or approach him on our terms. But if we look back at those four basic arguments, is it possible to approach him on our terms when we don't have the capability that come anywhere close to him? Is it possible? I think most of us would certainly answer, well, no, it's not. But a deeper question is, do we live our lives believing that we should approach him on his terms instead of getting him to approach us on ours? Do we live that way? Over the next three weeks, including today, we're actually over the next six weeks, we're going to be doing two primary belief foundations that are crucial for every Christian. And it's a little bit of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. What we're doing for today and the next two weeks is we're talking about, well, who is God? Now, the only thing, the only reason we know anything about God is what God writes in his word. And so the next three weeks are going to be, is scripture reliable? What, what does it mean? Can we trust it? And we could have started with Scripture because, you know, that's where we learn a lot about God. But it is so inter- intermingled with the belief of who is God, that God is the one who gave us Scripture. We had to start somewhere. And so, for me, the best starting place is starting with the beginning, starting with the original, starting with God himself. And of these next, this week and the next two, I want to talk to you about three primary characteristics about God. We are not going to be over, we're not going to encompass everything. There are much, there's much that we're not going to cover, but three that are the primary characteristics of God. Today, for the rest of our time together, I want to talk about God's glory. At the very beginning, if God is greater than anything we can possibly imagine, if God did create all of this, if God was the first of anything before anything was created, If God does, as his supreme authority, give him the option to put upon humanity some kind of moral compass. If God is truly that wonderful. then perhaps the greatest characteristic of God would not be some of the ones we would come up with. God is holy, although this is part of God being holy. God is just. God is love. God is judged. There's many we could do. The first is simply this. God is glory. God is glory. Not only is God glory, God is a God of glory. 
Now, glory is another one of those terms that is really hard to determine, and we like to throw it around. And I, one of my favorite pastors growing up, he said glory like every third word. It was his favorite word to share. And, I mean, he even came up with coined phrases. He would say, well, glory. I mean, he would just stand up and say glory. And I, well, yeah, glory, yeah. I don't know what that means, but, oh, yeah. If you look up glory in a dictionary, you're going to find lots of different definitions for it. And it basically means worthy of honor, worthy to be worshipped. That which is so wonderful can't be comprehended. Glory. Glory can be used as a noun. It can be used as a verb. It can be used in lots of different ways. But almost every time it's ever used, it has to do with God. Now, we will say something glorious. A day off was glorious. You know, that. That does come out of my mouth sometimes. But most of the time, that word is going to be used to talk about God. And we read through Scripture, and we read through all of the ways that we can know God and what it looks like. We find lots of places in Scripture talking about God's glory. If you've got a, uh, if you've got a, a tablet or a phone or a laptop, you can just do a word search, and you can find lots and lots of verses through, throughout the Old and New Testament talking about God's glory. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Psalm 72.19, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory, as if that glory is a tangible feel to it, that it can fill something. Amen and Amen. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, this is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In other words, God is very protective of his glory. He doesn't let others have it. And so whenever we look at the constant discussion on the news between Judaism and Islam and Christianity that they're all the same God, he would say, we are not all the same God. I don't share my glory with another. Because remember, we begin with him, we don't begin with us. So when we begin with him, it has to change the way we see everything and the way we see him. There are a lot of people that will stand up and say, well, God didn't do this or God's people errantly did this, and it hurt others, and so we don't like that God. You have to approach him as if he is a God of glory. He is worthy of honor and fame. One of the wonderful things about knowing God is that he goes on to say, well, I will not give my glory to another. I will share my glory with those who know me. If you're a believer in Christ, that's you. God is willing to share his glory with us. He's willing to let us experience it, even so much as to say there are times that we will be able to exemplify it as well. See, God's glory declares that he is the utmost of everything. He is the one that matters. It doesn't matter how we feel or how we want to approach something. It is about him and him alone. He is worthy for it to be about him and him alone. And as much as I want it to be about me and me alone, I am not worthy. It's a very humility that leads a person to be able to say, it is not about me. I will submit to another and I will confess my sins to a one who was willing to save me. 
See, that is why humility is so crucial for the gospel. If there is no humility, no one will ever accept the gospel. That's why when we see people, especially in the news and in the campaign trail, wanting to be some kind of God themselves, it appears. How can they possibly have the humility to know Him? That's all I'll say about that. I could say more, but I'm not going to. We can share in God's glory. Isaiah 61 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. John 11:40 says, Jesus said to her, this is Martha, sister of Lazarus, when Jesus finally arrives at his tomb and he has died, and before he raises him from the dead, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. If we believe, we will see the glory of God. Exodus 33:18 is one of the greatest examples of a person coming in contact with God's glory and that is Moses. He literally Moses having a conversation with God after he already had the 10 commandments. If you'll remember the story, he came down from the mountain. They had built this golden calf and he was angry and he beat the Ten Commandments against it and they shattered and he had to go back up the mountain and get more. When he went back up to see God, he said in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, Moses said, please show me your glory. That begins a conversation between him and God and God says, I'm going to do this for you. And he gave him instructions to go get the next two tablets. And he would ride on them. Verse 29 of chapter 34, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, after this, God said, I will pass by you. My glory will overshadow you, but I will put my hand over you so that you cannot see my face because you can't handle it. When I pass by you, I will remove my hand so you can see me from behind. And I will do this for you. It says, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, after all this had happened, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. When he came out and told the people of Israel what was, he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Understanding being that that shine as he was not constantly in the presence of God's glory would diminish and he did not want them to see it diminish. Had a very physical effect on his very being by being in the presence of the glory of God. It's a physical manifestation of who God is because he is so wonderful and incredible and more than we can possibly conceive. What's wonderful is that God has said, I will, not, I will not give my glory to another. I am the one and only true God, but I will share it with those who believe. That's a loving God. 
That's not a persecuting God. That's not an authoritarian God. That's not an overbearing God. That's a loving God that says, I will share what is uniquely and only mine with those of you who believe. Unfortunately, we can't share in God's glory on our own. Wouldn't that be great? There's a lot of people who try to do that. A lot of Christians and a lot of pastors and a lot of very visible ministries that are all about proving how much God loves them based on what they drive or fly or how nice their clothes are. Look how much God loves me. And it is an attempt, a poor attempt, to demonstrate the glory of God through our own earthly hands, which is impossible. We can't do that. Not only is it impossible, how can you possibly experience the filling of God's glory And you're trying to make it up yourself. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us do. John chapter 1, I'm giving you a ton of scripture today. But John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. I love John chapter 1, by the way. If you want to have an understanding of the Trinity that will blow your mind if you've never deeply studied it, it is the reality that Jesus didn't come into being when he was born in a stable. Jesus literally, the Holy Spirit literally have been together with God. The three and one have been eternally existent. As we read through the story in the creation account, especially here in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The reason that word is capitalized is because it wasn't talking about literally speech or text in the word. The word was capitalized because it was talking about a person. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God. In the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It doesn't take long to realize he's talking about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. All that has been made was made through Jesus. When God spoke, Jesus made it. Isn't that cool? The idea that we first have Jesus coming on the scene when he's born in the manger or stable or whatever. Wasn't born in the manger, I hope, but Jesus was going around from the beginning. From the very beginning, he was the one who was working with God. God would command and Jesus made it happen. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because remember, it's all about him. It's not about us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. 
demonstrated God's glory. You and I cannot partake in the glory of God all by ourselves. As much as we want to. As much as I want everyone to look at me and bask in my glory. You know, nobody does. But I would love that if they did. For all honest, we all, there's a piece of us that would love for others to bask in our own personal glory. We do it at work when we try to show up everybody else. We do it when we're out among our friends, whenever we want to tell them all the things that are going on in our life and ignore everything that's going on in theirs. When we want the stories to be about us and our triumphs rather than spending our lives telling about the triumphs of others. See, all of that is an attempt for us to make the glory about us, my glory. I want you to bask in my glory. Every ruler who's ever tried to take power over people who are not able to defend themselves, they wanted their glory to be known among the nations, but they didn't need God, their glory. When we look at presidential candidates, sometimes we have to wade through what is being said and to say, are they just wanting us to bask in their glory? Or do they really care about the people of the nation? See, it's easy to pick out somebody and say, look how bad they are at this. But real truth begins to take place in our lives when we stop trying to figure it out about everybody else and we turn those critical eyes on ourselves. How am I trying to bask in my own glory? We read about these things. It's incredible what God has offered us. Whenever you take on a form of humility, it's very tempting to take, let humility begin to turn into something insidious. Humility is a wonderful thing that is demonstrated not only by God, but by His Son, greatly demonstrated by Jesus as He spent His time on this earth. Humility is something every one of us is called to. Not every one of us is good at. Not a one of us is born able to be humble on our own. But humility often can turn into something else. It becomes this self-loathing, a depression. I have no value. It's sped up whenever we're in relationship with somebody who they want life to be about them and their glory. And so they let us know how much we don't measure up. And we begin to internalize that. And that humility turns to feeling that I have no value. So humility is a wonderfully powerful thing. It allows people to do incredible things in the world. It allows them to stand up to the criticisms of others to say, this is what is right. And even though you are criticizing me for going after it, I will do it because this is what is right, even if I don't win as a result. But when it becomes self-loathing, it becomes something else, and we begin to become detached from God because we no longer believe that God loves us because I'm not worthy of love. That's what humility can turn into. Not only do we have an invitation from God to say, it is all about me, but I want to invite you into it. If we're going to follow him, Scripture goes on to tell us that we should live our lives for his glory instead of our own. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. What are we living for? 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means flossing your teeth. Picking the lint out of your clothes. Isn't it? 
That's an extreme example. I don't really think about God's glory when I'm flossing my teeth, but I don't really floss my teeth, so that's not a problem for me. <laughs> my dentist tells me that every time I go see him, you need to floss your teeth more. Well, okay. Put me on a denture plan. I need a denture insurance plan, I guess. I don't know. But what does it look like to do everything for the glory of another? changes the way we make decisions. It changes the way we focus our attention. It changes where we place our value. Do everything for the glory of God. What is wonderful is that we can experience God's glory through Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I love this. This is so incredible that God has not said, hey, you know what? Go figure it out. Go figure it out. I'm not going to help. You know what? Y'all just work it out amongst yourselves. He never says that. He says, you're going to have one mind. You're going to have one spirit. You're going to have one calling. You're going to have one purpose. You're going to have one spirit working through you in all of this. Do nothing, verse 3, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We get to experience his glory because Jesus took on humility and a willingness to give his life for us, to be invited into his family. And all of this was not something that God resented or went against God's character, but yet fulfilled God's glory. Because remember, it's all about Him. Now, every belief structure you will ever have as it pertains to your faith, and quite honestly, when you really get it as it pertains to anything you believe about anything, because at some point you begin to understand God is everything. God is everything. God is not absent from anything. Everything is about God. Even the things we try so hard to exclude God from, it is about God. Everything is about Him. Everything. We have that as a gift from God and it fulfills His glory. So that at the point that you recognize, I am not... The all in all. I am not the one who created the heavens and the earth. I am not the one who can do everything. I am not the one who is more perfect beyond anything that can ever possibly be conceived. That is not me. Yet, I want to know the one who that is them. God gave away through Jesus Christ. So that you can share in his glory. Spending the rest of your lives for his glory. But it will always remain his glory. Heaven will be his glory. Anything we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of his glory. You and I do not manufacture glory as much as we want to try to do that. 
You may be trying to manufacture glory in your life by getting to some place in your job. You want to be able to the top tier. You want to be the CEO. You want to be the guy in charge of everything. And so you try to manufacture your own glory. Or maybe at home, this is the way you treat your family. And you want them to know you bow down to me. Because I want you to know it's about my glory. We cannot manufacture glory. It is who God is. And he shares it with us. Those who humbly accept him. This is why it's so hard to truly become a follower of Jesus Christ. Not hard to attend a church. Hard to become a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because it requires us to stop saying, it's about me. It's about me. You are born with the desire to say, it's about me. When babies come out of the womb, they're screaming and crying. Not because they're in pain. Because they want you to know, it's about me for the next 18 years. Or 30 years. Or 60 years. Or however long you've got kids. It's amazing what behaviorists have said about children and their ability to be so cute. You know how cute they are and it makes you just want to cuddle them up. Sometimes our kids would do stuff and it was horrible, horrible things. <laughs> I think they're all, does anybody in my kids, in? here's Emma, yeah. I think Jake and, Jake's in the other room and so is Jonathan. But it would be amazing they would do something so cute I couldn't punish them, right? You ever done that? We try to do that as adults. It doesn't work as well, but we try it. It's amazing what behaviorists have said that a child's ability to be cute is actually a survival instinct that says this is how they remain a priority within your life. See, we're born with the instinct to make everything about us. We try to manufacture glory from then on, but we cannot do that. God is glory. I want to leave you. This is how I want to end this because... This is not one of those sermons that you go out and go, wow, my life has radically changed. Although it could begin, be the beginning of that. I'm a firm believer, and I've shared this before. I'm a firm believer. It's, it's, it's evident when we talk about Facebook. Because you'll hear us talk about being informed sharers and commenters and retweeters. Christians are some of the most uninformed sharers on social media. Oh, that looks, wow, it's salacious. Now share that. Well, that didn't happen. Oh, that's amazing. I'm going to share that. You will never guess what happened when. Oh, I got to click that. You know, most of those didn't ever happen. Christians should be the most informed people on the face of the planet. We should be educated. And I don't mean that you need to go out and get a degree. But you should take the initiative to know what is truth in the world. And Christians are sometimes the worst because we make our Christianity about Our emotions, not about what is true. What makes me feel good? What makes me feel good about God? Yet Paul himself did not always feel good about his relationship with God. It's not about emotion. It's not about getting an opinion across. It's about sharing truth in a world. And so I'm a firm believer that we should be the most educated in all things. That means you need to be educated. And why are you a believer? Why do you believe in God? Who is God to you? So I want to leave you with a question. How will you respond if this is truly who God is? If you don't believe this is who God is, why? But if he is, if there truly could be nothing formed out of nothing or something formed out of nothing, 
If that's really impossible, there had to be something in the beginning. If we truly have the ability to imagine that being, which is so perfect and and beyond great, that he's so much better than we can possibly imagine, if that's true, God did really create everything around us. If God really did create the universe, if he ordered it in such a way that it could sustain life and, and that the universe would go on, if that's true, if it's true that there truly is a moral authority that's going out above all humanity, putting in the hearts of those who are born, that there is a some level of a moral compass because he has the authority to set that. If this is true, how do we respond to him? And who is, is he to us? We're going to be talking about two other characteristics over the next couple of weeks. I really want you to come back. Sometimes these aren't as fun as, as some of the other series we do. However, I think this is highly, crucially important for any follower of Jesus. So at the end of the day, you're not going to have all the answers, but I hope you begin to have more questions and the desire to go find those answers. Because that's really when you start following Christ. When you stop letting everybody else tell you the questions and the answers, you begin forming your own questions and you begin finding your own answers. That's what it really looks like to follow Christ. I hope this will just be a seed to help push that in you. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today in a way that would let us know that you are real. You're so difficult to describe and to show exactly who you are because you're so much farther beyond what we can possibly imagine. I thank you that not only are you a God who is good and a God of incredible glory, but you have offered to let us be part of that. I pray that you would help us in humility to accept the gift of your son. And I pray that you would inspire within us an insatiable desire to know you more, to go deeper, to understand why, to be educated in, in the things that you say are true. Help us to do this. Not only to follow you well, but to spend time in your presence so we ourselves, in some way, will shine your glory to others in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.